Welcome back to the Better Than Yesterday podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Kelly. This week, I'm really excited to bring you guys this episode because it's unlike anything I've done in the past. My whole goal with Better Than Yesterday is a personal quest to round myself out physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Just become better in all aspects of life. And I think it's really cool that I get to bring you guys along, that I get to record these conversations that I'm having with people who are in places that I want to be whether it's people like Max last week or mental coaches like Brett, I'm all about trying to get the most out of my life. And I've been reaching out to experts in all fields. And I think it's awesome that I have the opportunity to do this. So if you guys have been following me for a decent amount of time, you know that last July, I quit my corporate job at Vanguard. I started this podcast. I started doing YouTube back in March. But I've really been focused on building this. And one thing that has really suffered during this time is my finances because I am not making nearly enough money and not nearly as much as I used to be making when I was working a desk job. So I reached out to one of the experts, Rachel Richards, who I read her book, Money Honey, in 2018. And when I first read it, I was working at Vanguard, I was making what felt like a ton of money, and I didn't really know what to do with it. So I read her book, Money Honey, and immediately started applying the tips. I saved up, I put down $10,000 on my dream car, and was able to, to do things and to just have everything that I needed. But when I started over and started working part-time, I didn't have that luxury. I wasn't good with my finances because I've been living check to check. So I reached out to Rachel. I really wanted to pick her brain on all things money. This episode was like a personal interrogation on her on everything she knows about money. So I just am excited to bring you guys this episode. Rachel is a best-selling author. Both books she has published have done extremely well. She is a wealth of knowledge. When it comes to personal finance, she mentions from the time she was six or seven years old, she's always been fascinated by this stuff. Now she has been able to retire at age 27. And that's so insane to say that she literally does not have to work at age 27. So we get into her story, her journey with money and how she has made this entire thing work, how she makes money work for her now. And yeah, that's that's what I got for this episode. I think you guys are going to love this one. Uh, go get her books. I will link them in the show notes and I will talk about them at the end of the podcast. But she has a great writing style, easy to read. And yeah, let's turn it over to the interview. So we are live this week on the podcast. We are joined by Rachel Richards, the author of Money Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. Thanks for joining me this week, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I want to start off, I have a beef to pick with you off the bat. I just <laughs> cracked open Money Honey for the second time, and I got rid of my dream car last week. I was driving a Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> I was going through my golden number exercise and was like, there is no way I can afford this. So, so thank you for that one. Oh man, do I apologize or say you're welcome? <laughs> so yeah, so I'm saving over basically 50% of my car payment, which is awesome starting now. Nice. But yeah, so I just wanted to get into your background first. I just in Money Honey reading 
some of the things that you started at a pretty young age. I think it's interesting. So let's start there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I am a lot of things. I have a lot going on. So right now, um, I'm a real estate investor. My husband and I own over 35 rental units. I'm the best-selling author of two books. I'm an entrepreneur, professional speaker. Um, I'm a former financial advisor. And what people find most interesting about me is that last year at age 27, I was able to quit my job and retire. And I'm now living off over $10,000 per month in passive income. So I've come a long way in just a few years. Um, but I know you asked, you know, kind of where did things start with me? Um, I remember my earliest memory of learning about money was when I was in sixth grade. And I think I wrote about this in Money, Honey. But I remember I found this book and it was like, it was like the Motley Fool's Guide for Teens, How to Have More Money Than Your Parents Ever Dreamed Of or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ooh, that sounds nice. And I remember being in sixth grade at this summer water park camp. And instead of going down the water slides with all my friends, I was sitting on the edge of the pool reading this book. So <laughs> if that tells you anything about how much of a super finance nerd I am, then there you go. <laughs> um, that really kicked off my passion for finance. And I have been basically totally self-educated. I've read tons of books about finance. And when I was in high school and college, all my family and friends would come to me for financial advice. And I began thinking, I wonder why they're not using some of these resources out there because there's so many books, websites, blogs, there's so much information out there. And what I realized is that personal finance is not the most fun topic, right? It's boring, it's complicated, it's intimidating, and a lot of people have negative emotions around it. So I thought to myself, how can I make this topic fun and sassy and simple. And that's where Money Honey came into being. So I wrote my first book. Um, it, it resonated so well with millennials and younger people. Um, I have over 500 five-star reviews on Amazon. So it's just, it's taken off and done really well. And it's, it's just a fun, sassy guide on the basics of money management. That's awesome. I wanted to get into a little bit like the process of actually writing a book because I know that can be a daunting task and you're younger too. So where did you get started with that? Yeah, that's such a great question. It was something I felt I always wanted to do, you know, sort of a bucket list item. I eventually want to write a book. And actually there's a statistic, I think it's like 85% of Americans want to write a book. That's one of their goals. That's something they want to do. So there's a lot of people that feel like they have this book in them. And I started reading this book called Published by Chandler Bolt. And it was this super helpful guide on how to write and publish a book. I mean, everything from coming up with a book idea to outlining it, to writing it, to marketing it and launching it. And once I had all the information and I felt, man, this is easy. I have I know exactly how to do this now. This is the plan. Then I finally sat down and I put pen to paper and I started writing Money Honey. Um, now, the first couple weeks, it, the words poured out of me. You know, mm. I wrote easily. It was fun, whatever. And then, of course, it gets hard and you're like, man. And then you question yourself. I mean, I remember quitting at one point. I stopped writing Money Honey because I was embarrassed and I, I thought it was complete crap. <laughs> And that's, you know, that's kind of like the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, but I was convinced that if I went through with it, it would be a utter public embarrassment. So I stopped writing. It wasn't until I sat down with a friend like four months later after the fact. And she I told her about the book and she was like, Rachel, you need to do this. This sounds amazing. Like, please finish. 
And so I listened to her and I did. And the only reason I went through with it is because I told myself, if I can help just one person, then that will be enough for me. It really Mm -hmm. wasn't for me about making money or generating income. I just felt compelled to do it. I just, I knew I had that book in me and I just felt compelled to get it out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think so many millennials, you, you leave college and then you start making a decent amount of money, your first job, but you have no idea what to do with it because you've never had it before. So I think this book is such a good starting point to where I went from making, you know, 80 bucks a week working, working one shift at a grocery store. And then all of a sudden my paycheck is like 1500 every two weeks. And I don't know where it goes. I like, yes, I eat out. I do, you know, I get my car worked on and it's like, wait, I don't even have any money left over. I got to wait till next Friday. Yes. It's such a reality check and wake up call. And it's, it's so unfortunate because we truly are having a financial education crisis as a country because at no point in our lives are we taught how to manage our money. You know, we're not taught in the public school system. Often we're not taught in college. So then we're left as adults to figure it all out on our own. And that's overwhelming. And just like you said, you go from making like zero money to having a paycheck. And then it's like, I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So let's get started with the golden number from Money Honey. So what is that exercise? Yeah, I love the golden number. It's something that's really resonated and just clicked with people. So the golden number is how much you have left over each month after your expenses. So it's how much you're saving each month. And when you're budgeting and you're tracking your expenses and you're tracking your income and all that stuff, the question you want to be asking yourself each month is how do I increase my golden number? You know, how do I increase the amount of money that I'm saving? That is your number one goal. And so here's the thing. When I am teaching this in workshops, I'll basically ask, hey, what sorts of things do you do when you're trying to save more money? You know, if you're trying to save up a bunch of money in a short amount of time to buy concert tickets or pay for a car repair, what do you do? 99% of the people will say things like, I'm going to cook at home more. um, I'm going to shop less. I'm going to give up my coffee addiction, you know, all those things. And what I began noticing is that there's a common theme in a lot of those responses. And a lot of those are about decreasing your expenses, Mm -hmm. which is great because we should always focus on getting our spending in line. However, there's only so much you can decrease your expenses, right? You can't negotiate your mortgage or rent payment. You can't just stop paying your car insurance or just stop eating food, right? So (laughs) you're kind of limited. Um, So what I realized is that there are, there's two ways to increase your golden number. Number one is to decrease your expenses. Number two is to increase your income. And for some reason, we kind of forget about the second one. But what's so great about increasing your income is that there is no cap on how much money you can make. There's nothing stopping you from going out and making more money. So if you really want to make an impact with your budget, then you should focus on both, how to decrease your expenses and how to increase your income. Cool. And with the decreasing expenses, I know I've seen... One of the books I read early on was The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Are you familiar with that one? I've heard of it. I haven't read it myself. That's a very good one. But he talks about like how your $4 a day coffee ends up being $50,000 down the road. And I think that turns a lot of people off right off the bat where they're like, 
$4 for coffee is $50,000. And you kind of get wrapped up in all these, like, should I not do this? Should I not do this? How do we draw the line between decreasing our expenses and like just being cheap and being ridiculous? Oh, I love this question. And I'm so glad you asked because that is something I have, I used to struggle with and still struggle with sometimes so much because when you think about like spending money and people spending money, there's kind of two extremes. There's like, you spend way too much. You live above your means. You spend Mm -hmm. more than you have. And then there's like, you're living like under a rock and not doing anything because you're so frugal and so cheap. (laughs) And throughout college and after I graduated, I was definitely the person living under the rock and not spending any money. Yeah. (laughs) It was so hard for me to have experiences and to do things and to go out to dinner or to get a drink with a friend because I was always, I felt like I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a hard balance to find. You know, I was always very strict. I was saving 50% of my income. And this was even when I was making $32,000 per year when I graduated college. I was still Mm -hmm. saving 50% of my income. So just, you know, imagine living off like 18 grand before tax or whatever each year. Like that's hardly anything. Um, But what I learned over time is that you can't be either extreme. You really have to find a healthy balance. Um, The great thing about when I met my husband is that he's not like an overspender by any means, but he was really good at finding that balance. And he would spend his money on experiences and fun things. And he sort of kind of opened my eyes and showed me how like money can also bring so much joy. And it's not, you know, you have to find that balance between saving your money for your future self, but having some fun today as well. It's so hard because there's the hashtags of FOMO and treat yourself. And, you know, it's so easy to justify like, well, I deserve this. And I think if anything, most people fall towards the other extreme of overspending. So I don't think it's as common of a problem. But the finding the balance is definitely a hard thing to do. So, you know, make sure you're saving enough, but treat yourself every once in a while for sure. Yeah. And one of the things uh, you say in the book that I really love about credit cards, because I'm the credit card spender, where it'll come t- time that at the end of the month, I'll, I'll be able to pay it off. But I'm like, wow, I spent that much, <laughs> you know, and you're like, you kind of justify it. Oh, I'm going to get rewards on this or whatever. But if you can't buy it in cash now, you should not be purchasing it. Absolutely. The biggest mistake young people make with their money is credit cards and getting into credit card debt. And it sucks because it's such a sneaky, vicious cycle that a lot of people will sort of start putting things on their card and they'll be able to manage it at first. But then, you know, one one month will come around when the payment's due and they don't have quite enough. And then from there, it's just this game of never being able to catch up. And then before you know it, you're $10,000 in credit card debt. Yeah. So it's actually very scary. And what sucks is that people have a lot of shame about it and guilt and embarrassment. But like credit cards are inherently designed to make you go in, into credit card debt. That's yeah. how the credit card companies make money off of you. So like it's it's like this psychological thing that people shouldn't have shame or embarrassment over, but rather just let's be educated on it so that we can try to avoid some of those pitfalls. Um, but absolutely, if, if you're using a credit card, you should be treating it like a debit card. So mm-hmm. if you're not able to go to the bank and pull that money out of the bank and pay for that item, that simply means that you cannot afford that item. 
mm-hmm. you should not be putting it on a credit card. So don't use it as a way to like bridge, you know, to make it to the next paycheck. Make sure you truly can afford what you're putting on it. And the only responsible way to use a credit card is to pay off the balance in full every single month or else you will run the risk of getting into credit card debt. And that can just so quickly spiral out of control and you definitely don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, treat it like a debit card for sure. Yeah. But what about those big ticket items like a, like a house and car? How do you determine, because I fell in the trap where I could afford my car at a certain time, but I didn't realize how much those payments, it's, it's not just the payment that's adding up. It's the gas, it's the repairs, it's the maintenance, all that. So how do you determine off the bat where this is what I can afford? Because obviously you're probably not going to pay cash for a car or a house unless you're very fortunate. Yeah, that's um, a really good question. So anytime I'm making a big financial decision, I just try to sit down and write out all the expenses associated with that. And unfortunately, you know, when you're getting pre-approved for a car or a house, lenders will pre-approve you for a lot more than you normally can afford. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when a lot of people are going out, first-time home buyer, you know, maybe they get approved for a $300,000 loan and they're like, great, we can afford a $300,000 house. Well, hold on a second. That might not actually be the case because have you actually looked at the mortgage payment? Have you considered the utilities, the lawn care, the pest control, the home maintenance, like all the, all the expenses that go into having a house? Can you truly afford that each month? Because the lender doesn't look at the whole situation. They throw out a number that they think you can afford. That doesn't mean that you can afford it. So you Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, it's a good place to start, but then you have to do your own double check and make sure you really can afford it. And think about all those other costs associated, like you said, because with the car, it's not just the car payment, it's car insurance, it's gas, it's maintenance and repair. And the maintenance on a you know more expensive vehicle is always really, really expensive. Um, and even with those things, I would still even add another, like one thing I always like to do is just be super conservative in my estimates. So if I've you know, estimated everything out, I'll still go on and add or add another like 20% buffer just mm-hmm. to cover anything that I didn't catch. So, you know, what may start out as a $400 car payment, maybe that's actually going to cost you closer to 750 And maybe that's going to make a, a difference to you between being able to afford it and being able to not afford it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would just say really writing out those projections from the beginning and giving yourself that 20% buffer. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you mentioned in the book is like, you have to really sit down and write out these numbers where I think a lot of millennials are, you know, you're not, you're not writing stuff down. You don't see actually how much you're making. You don't see how much you're spending on certain amounts. So the exercise you say is to track your income and expenses for 30 days. So what do you think? is important about that process, actually sitting down and, and writing down what you actually are spending your money on. Um, I'm so glad you asked this because I'm going to admit something embarrassing that I feel like I shouldn't admit because I'm supposed to be a financial whiz. But I remember when Andrew, my husband and I started tracking our expenses and really mm-hmm. looking at it each month instead of just kind of like thinking in our minds what we thought we were spending. And the first month we did this, we realized we spent over $900 that month just on food. Mm-hmm. So $900 for two people, um, that's more than some people's mortgage payments. 
when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Like here I am, you know, saying I'm this financial guru and I'm like spending an absurd amount of money on things that I don't need. Mm-hmm. So the point of that story is that you really don't know where your money is going until you actually sit down and look at it. Because in my mind, I was thinking, oh yeah, we probably are spending a reasonable amount of money on food each month. You know, we're, we don't go out to eat ever. You know, we probably spend four or $500. But then when I actually sat down and look at the numbers, I was blown away. So you, you really don't know where your money is going until you sit down and do it. And once you see where your money is going, you will know exactly where to cut back. So like besides the food, another one for me was, you know, like online shopping. There was a couple obvious things that stuck out and I realized, oh, that's a big opportunity where I could be saving several hundred dollars per month just by cutting back and being more mindful of that. So I think the the exercise of physically tracking it and writing it down is so much more profound and powerful than just kind of thinking that you know where your money's going in your mind. Mm-hmm. And then let's get into the four buckets. I love the the whole main point of the book that I love is it's so easy to actually sit down and read this and to go through the exercises. It's very, I know a lot of the financial books are pretty daunting and you kind of see the exercises they want you to do and you're just like, no, screw it. That's too much work to do. But the four buckets I think is laid out where it's like, okay, bucket one, this is how much you need to have. Check, you're done. Bucket two. So can we get into what each of the four buckets are? Yes. uh, If there's one thing in the book that people have thanked me for, it's for the savings buckets. So I love talking about them. Um, The thing with savings is it used to confuse me so much because if I was saving 10 or 20 or 40 percent of my money, that's great. But what do I do with that? Because there's all these different things you're saving for, right? Maybe you're saving for retirement. Maybe you're saving for a tuition payment next semester or for books. Maybe you're saving for a new car. Maybe you're just saving for like a flight home for Christmas, whatever. So there's all these different savings goals. So how do you make progress towards each goal? You know, how do you take that, that golden number, the amount that you're saving, what's the strategy there? So that's why I came up with the savings buckets. And basically the savings buckets help you strategize your savings goals according to when they're going to happen. So there's four buckets. We'll start with bucket number one, which is for emergency savings. And you should always have at least a thousand dollars in bucket number one. Because after all, none of us can predict the future. So we don't know when an emergency is going to happen. We don't know when our car is going to break down. We don't know when our animal is, our dog is going to eat a tennis ball and have to go to the emergency vet. You know, we just can't predict these things. But it's not a matter of of if, it's a matter of when. Because you will have an unexpected expense and mm-hmm. you will have to be able to pay for it. And the thing is, if you don't have your emergency savings bucket with $1,000, then you're going to end up putting it on your credit card. And that's yeah. going to be a huge financial setback. You're just going to go straight back into debt. So that's why it's so important to have an emergency savings bucket. So that's bucket number one with $1,000. Then bucket number two is for anything you're saving for within the next 12 months. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of your shorter term, medium term savings. 
Um, that could be things like, um, you know, a trip that you want to take, um, concert tickets, a car repair, anything that's coming up in the next 12 months that you know that you're going to be saving for would fall into bucket number two. And so you would basically write out all those items, put a dollar estimate to it, and total those up to give you an idea of how much should be in bucket number two. Now, on the other side of that is you need to have a place where you have three to six months worth of living expenses. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because if you ever lose a job or you lose your income, then you need to have enough saved so that you can bridge that gap before you're able to replace your income. So three to six months worth of saving expenses is what you know, most experts recommend, you would put that as well into your bucket number two, into your medium term savings, because if that happened, that would be something that you would need within the next year. Yeah. Okay. So then bucket number three is for long term savings. These are things you're saving for that are more than a year away, but before retirement. So this bucket will normally have your bigger ticket items like saving for a down payment for a house or for an engagement ring, um, for a wedding, for your kid's college education, whatever it may be. But it'll be things you're saving for more than a year away, but before retirement. And then you finally have bucket number four, which is for retirement. And this one's hard to place a number on because we just don't know how much money we're going to need when we retire. But I talk about in, in both of my books, I talk about that there's been a lot of studies that have come out and shown that millennials will need to accumulate at least $2 million by age 65 in order to retire. Mm-hmm. Okay, so $2 million, that's an exorbitant amount of money. So the point with bucket number four is you, you have to save a lot and you have to always be contributing to bucket number four, always, mm-hmm. no matter what, even if it's not a lot, you know, get in the habit now, but otherwise you'll fill up the buckets consecutively. So you'll fill up bucket number one first, then bucket number two, and then bucket number three. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> There's so much to unpack there. I think it's it's easy to talk about, but but I think what I wanted to mention with, so I quit my job in July and I, I want to say I probably had about three, three months of expenses saved up and that was not enough. That was not nearly, just stuff adds up so much faster than you think. So I spent like a month without working and I probably estimated where I had three months of income and I probably had about a month and a half. Mm, So I, I would encourage people to lean towards that, towards that six month at all times. Yeah. I'm glad you made that point. And, and that's another reminder too, to just always have that buffer, you know, anytime we're estimating something, always just add on 20% because, because like psychologically we underestimate things, Yeah. but yeah, that's a great reminder. Try to save six months of three for sure. Yeah. And I think so with the long term savings, where should we be keeping that? Is that something that we keep in cash? Is that something we keep under our mattress or the stock market? What do we do with that? Yeah. So the long term savings is something that I recommend investing in the stock market. Mm -hmm. And the thing with the stock market, there's a couple important rules. And one of the most important rules is that when you're investing in the stock market, you're investing for the long term. 
okay, mm. we're not doing day trading. We're not doing, let's buy a stock for $3 this day and sell it next week for $6. That's not the strategy that we want to take with the stock market because mm. it's very volatile in the short run, but in the long run, it always goes up. So you only want to be invested in the stock market for the long run. Also, there are different types of, of capital gains taxes on your stock market investments. And if you sell them um, within one year, then you will be taxed at a higher rate. Mm -hmm. So it's important that you only invest money that you know you're not going to need for at least a year. So that's why bucket number three is for things that are more than a year away. It's the perfect bucket to put into the stock market and have it invested for the long term. Um, and I recommend using something called a discount brokerage account. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's just um, a type of brokerage where you're going to pay less fees and commissions to invest um, and you'll still be able to access the money before retirement just to put it in putting it in a regular investment account. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get confused with the stock market and like you said we're not doing day trading here it's find a couple good index or mutual funds and ride them out that's basically your uh, suggestion. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's so much debate about this whole active versus passive investing. And people that invest and they do what's called active investing, those are the people that are doing day trading or they're investing in, you know, individual stocks and they're trying to make money, they're trying to beat the market, all that stuff. Now, there's been so much research that has shown that passive investing does just as well as, if not better than, active investing. And passive investing is much more automated. It's tracking to something that's already out there. It's not doing all these analysis and trying to pick the best stock and all this stuff. It's it's finding a broad fund that's a lot more automated and putting your money there and knowing it's just going to it's going to do it just as well as the active fund. And the reason I like the passive fund is not only because has the research proven it's just as good, but because you're not um you don't have teams of people that are researching or you don't have like a hedge fund manager that you're having to pay. The passive investments cost a lot less to buy. So the fees are lower, the commissions are lower, the expense ratio is lower. So it just makes more sense to invest in something that's passive and you're paying, you know, a 0.2% expense ratio fee versus investing in something that's active where you're paying 2%. I mean, because that's that's almost an entire 2% return you're basically losing out on because it's all going towards the fee. And mm -hmm. so that just seems silly to me when you could be doing just as well with the passive investments. So that's why in Money Honey, I talk about, you know, index funds, ETFs, all those things. And the great thing too about the book is that a lot of my friends would come up to me and say, but how do I actually buy a stock? Like, how do I physically invest in the stock market? And so in Money Honey, I, I do screenshots of how to actually open an account and make a trade. And I just I kind of walk people straight through that process to make it super easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it it is easy if you go to Vanguard or if you go on Fidelity. People who are reading your book are probably younger and know how to use computers. It's You really don't have an excuse on on not investing in the stock market at this yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> so we were talking off air. I mentioned I quit my job. So I basically started over at my four buckets. I had I had like $37 in my savings account. I was living paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And I had money in all these buckets. Not Not enough money, but I had money elsewhere. And I decided I'm going to restart on bucket one. I'm going to put 
work to save the thousand dollars that I need for emergencies. So where do you recommend people who say they can only save 50, a hundred bucks a month? Where do you recommend people start there? In terms of where to put it? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. So I basically, if, if you have 50 or a hundred bucks and that's kind of where you're starting, um, you know, like I said, bucket number four needs to be something that you're always contributing to and getting in the habit of because you have to have so much money to retire. It's crazy. So mm-hmm. even if you're only putting $10 towards that. But then otherwise, you're going to want to take that 50 or 100 bucks each month and put it all into bucket number one until bucket number one is full. Because the most important thing you can do at that point is to get your emergency savings account filled up. And that way, you know, when something comes up, you, you don't have to put it on a credit card like that money is there. Now, while you're doing that, though, you know, overall, it's going to be hard to make fast progress if your golden number, you know, the number, the amount of money you're saving is only 50 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. So while you're kind of getting bucket number one filled, I would still be going back to that golden number exercise and saying, okay, what are ways I can keep decreasing my expenses? What are ways I can keep increasing my income? How can I continually grow my golden number each month? Because it's only when you grow your golden number that you can really make more aggressive progress on your savings buckets. Mm -hmm. And you talk about in your next book, passive income. So can we get into that a little bit? Yes. Um, people love talking to me about passive income because I was able to quit my job and retire last year. I have over $10,000 a month in passive income that I'm living off of. So I'm financially independent. It's like my favorite subject and I love to talk about it. So passive income is money that is earned with little to no ongoing work. And I know that sounds too good to be true, but it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely not a get rich quick scheme or anything. It's not anything fishy or scammy like that. You know, passive income does take time or money to create. It, it you know, it takes hard work to create and build, but once you have your passive income stream in place, then it becomes a lot more hands-off. So, you know, you think about an active job where you're working 40 hours a week and you're getting a paycheck. With passive income, maybe you're working a few hours a week or a few hours a month, and you're generating money off of that. So that's what really frees someone up to have freedom and flexibility and to become financially independent. Mm -hmm. And a few years ago, I had this epiphany that once your passive income exceeds your living expenses, aren't you retired? Because, you know, that means you're financially independent. You have enough passive income to offset your expenses. You can quit your job. So that's what I started working towards. Um, My husband and I started in 2017 and we started investing in real estate. It's something we always wanted to do because I truly think that real estate investing is such a great tool for building wealth over the long term. So it's something we'd always wanted to do even before we learned about passive income. We bought our first duplex that year. And then later on that year, I launched my first book, Money Honey. So I was generating royalty income off of that. Mm -hmm. So we had these two passive income streams, rental income, royalty income. We focused on growing those as much as we possibly could over the next few years. And fast forward to today, we own over 35 rental units. And I just launched my second book, Passive Income Aggressive Retirement, which is all about passive income and how to create it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
with our rental income, we're making anywhere from seven to 10 grand per month. And then with my royalty income, I just had my first $5,000 month in book sales. So these are our two. Thank you. Thank you. That was an exciting milestone. Um, But yeah, these are our two big passive income streams that have allowed us to become financially independent and retired at such a young age. Did you hate your job though? Or you just realized you didn't have to do it anymore? You know, I, I have hated jobs that I had. There were definitely jobs that I hated. Mm-hmm. But what I was doing most recently the past few years is I was working as a finance analyst at a global manufacturing corporation. I had the best team ever. I was challenged. I was paid well. Like, it was a great career. It was It really was actually hard to walk away from uh-huh. because, you know, there's also just a social sort of stigma about, like, why would somebody leave a, a lucrative finance career, you know? Yeah. Like I could have been very successful at a corporation, but I just knew inherently that I wasn't ever going to be satisfied or happy working for somebody else because I want to travel. I don't want to have to go into a cubicle every day. I want to like work wherever I want to work. And maybe that's one day that's in Colorado and maybe one day that's on a beach somewhere, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to have the freedom and to truly be able to control my time and my life. Yeah, I think time is definitely the most valuable thing. And I know a lot of people who I worked with personally and a lot of just my friends from high school who have seen me go through this journey, people are waking up every day with anxiety, going to work, they hate their job, they hate their boss. And I think the passive income may be the way, it's not gonna happen overnight, but you can definitely build towards that. And that's something I'm trying to do with the podcast where eventually this will be my income. This will hopefully increase my golden number where I don't have to work anymore and I can do this. And like today we're recording at 12 o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday and both you and I can do it, which is awesome. But if it was a Wednesday, I couldn't do it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, what you said is so important. Um, I've realized more and more over time that oftentimes people's working careers are the number one biggest source of anxiety in their lives. Mm -hmm. And that sucks. I mean, I felt that way in every job that I had. It was so high pressure. I hated being constrained the way I was being constrained. But almost all the women in my life have a tremendous anxiety over their jobs. Like the more Mm -hmm. I've talked to people and the more I've realized that, and it's not just women, it's guys too. Um, And it sucks that we have to be trapped into this way of working that causes us such anxiety and the reason we're trapped is because of money you know we we can't i mean we have to have money we have to have an income to live off of and that's what i love so much about passive income is because i truly believe it anybody can do it anyone at any age on any income can create passive income it's the most attainable way to achieve retirement Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's awesome and I think like one of my main message has been like, look, if you're sick over work, if you physically are ill every day walking into the office, you can leave that job. And one of the things you said in the book, I know it's something that you said was going to be the most controversial thing you said, but that don't chase your dream if it doesn't make you money. So yeah. what did you mean by that? Um, I... Okay, my biggest pet peeve is when people give the advice, you know, take the leap of faith and the net will appear. Mm -hmm. I hate that advice because that, I think Alicia Ramos said this. She's the founder of this newsletter called Girls Night In. She said, 
just quit your job and do it is privileged advice. Okay. We can't all just quit our job and be okay. You know, there are so many people that are living paycheck to paycheck. They don't have the privilege or the opportunity to just be able to quit their job and hope that the net will appear. You know, when people do that, that's often how they end up in debt or, or whatever. So it's important to have a plan of how you're going to replace that income. It's important to have a side hustle or a passive income stream that you already have in place before you do that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's why I recommend like, you know, if you're going to quit your job, make sure you have a plan, like make sure you're already generating money. I didn't quit my job until I more than fully replaced my income. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a conservative person. I didn't necessarily need to do that. I could have taken a small leap of faith and quit my job on not enough income and just kind of hoping that it would eventually get me there. And, you know, that's fine. I'm just saying, like, don't quit your job and have zero income and zero money saved and no plan of how to make an income. Because like Alicia Ramos said, I truly think that's privileged advice and it's not good advice. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so that's my pet peeve. And I'm glad you brought it up because it's just important to be financially prepared And I just think it's doable for anybody to continue working a full-time job or a part-time job while they're getting their side hustle off the ground. So exactly what you're doing. It's so smart, you know, working Mm -hmm. full-time, but you're getting your business going on the side. And eventually, you know, you're going to replace your income with that. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately what what we're discussing here with money is that it it is the ultimate source of freedom. You're going to be free in your time. You're going to be free in what you get to do, where the places you get to go. So I think getting to that point where you're not stressed about money, I think is is the point where we all want to get to. Absolutely. And it's, it is a privilege. Um, one thing that stuck with me that David Osborne told me, he's like a real estate multimillionaire mogul. And mm-hmm. I interviewed him for passive income, aggressive retirement, as well as many other different experts. But, you know, he made the point that, Oftentimes, our biggest dreams in life, and not even oftentimes, but almost always, our biggest dreams in life have a financial component to them. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes money to do. It takes money to go travel the world. It takes money to have kids. Whatever your dreams are, it often is going to take money. And creating passive income and becoming financially independent, that means that you can then go out and achieve your dreams and not be constrained by money anymore. So it's just such a powerful thing to think, you know, once you get rid of this constraint of money, you, you can do whatever you want to do. And it's such a, a freedom. It's a freedom that I will forever be grateful for. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's so cool to hear your story and, and how it wasn't overnight, that this has been a long process for you. So I just wanted to give you a quick chance. Where can we find your books? Where can we support you? Thank you. Yeah. So my books are both on Amazon, um, Money, Honey, and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. They've both been bestsellers. They're an ebook, paperback, and audiobook. So both of them are now out on audio. Um, my website is moneyhoneyrachel.com. And then you can follow me on social media, like on any platform by searching Money, Honey, Rachel. I love to post funny memes that are about money. So um, I have a lot of people that enjoy that. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. And I will get that all linked up in the show notes. So anyone who's listening, you have no excuse. If you don't like to read a paperback book, it's on audio. You can find it on ebook, Kindle, all that stuff. So I will get that linked up. Thank you so much, Rachel. I appreciate your time so much. Yes, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Once again, thanks so much to Rachel for coming on the show. I had a blast talking money with her. 
this is definitely one that's going to be timeless that you can come back to at any point that you're struggling with your finances just you need to restart you don't know what to do with your money this is the episode to come back to so i understand that i'll have a little bit of a different audience because i have rachel on the show this week so i just encourage you guys if you like the episode make sure to go check out the other ones i've done a lot of stuff has been geared towards health and fitness because that's what i'm passionate about so if you guys have any similarities with me there uh, i've done 31 episodes in the past most of them have been with elite athletes so it's really cool that I get to sit down and have these conversations so make sure to go check out Rachel's books on Amazon they are both bestsellers one is Money Honey that is the one where I discovered her from and her newest book which has become a bestseller as well is Passive Income Aggressive Retirement so go check out both those Make sure to follow Rachel on social media at Money Honey Rachel. I will link everything. Obviously, again, like I said, yeah, uh, this this episode was just really informative. It was, I thought, a great one, and I'm excited to hear your guys' thoughts on it. So, if you did like the episode, make sure to give it a five star rating on iTunes. Leave a review. You don't understand how much those reviews help me help the show get noticed, and just it feels good if people like what I'm doing and from the messages I've gotten on Instagram and the feedback I've gotten people seem to really like what I'm doing so if you do leave a review again share this on your Instagram story I always appreciate that and I will talk to you guys in the next episode